Well, good morning, Evergreen Church family. It's always a great blessing being able to share the word of God. I want to start off with a quote from Benjamin Franklin. He once said, In this world, nothing is certain except death and taxes. But I believe he missed a third one, conflicts. Conflicts are everywhere in our lives. Conflicts in our workplaces, conflicts with our neighbors, even conflicts in our own household. Or maybe you had a conflict with that person sitting next to you right now as you drove to church. Don't nudge that person because I can see everybody here from the pulpit. All of us have and will continue to experience conflict with other people. In our Counseling the Word series, Last Sunday, Pastor Rocky did a great job on preaching on the love of Christ and how that love controls us to obey his word. The question this morning, if we have the love of Christ in us, why do we still sin by fighting and having conflicts with others? So praise God that his word is sufficient. This morning, God would encourage us and answer this important question as we go through James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. And for better context, I'll be reading verses 1 through 6. So please rise as I read from James chapter 4, 1 through 6. Verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that the friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Amen. Please join me in prayer. Father, thank you for your sacred scriptures, your word, the Bible. May you be glorified as we reveal, as you reveal your hearts to us through the preaching of your word. May you continue to use your word to edify us and to evangelize the lost. May you continue to bless our time together as a church family. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So to give you context to our passage this morning, the book of James is a remarkable book. It was written by Jesus' half-brother. James initially didn't believe that Jesus was his Lord and Savior. I mean, how can you blame him, right? Imagine if your, if your brother said, I'm God, right? I was thinking about this this morning. Imagine if... Uh, 
Gary Inouye went to Darren Inouye and said, I'm God. Right? Darren, Darren would be like, you're crazy. Heck no. John 7, 5 tells us, for not even his brothers believed in him. But James heard Jesus' claims. He saw his brother live a sinless life, saw the resurrected Christ. Then he became a believer, eventually becoming a chief leader in the Jerusalem church. And when Pastor James writes this letter, the church was experiencing extreme persecution and they were scattered. He encouraged the church to continue to be faithful during these difficult times, encouraging God's people to act like God's people. The pages of James are filled with direct commands to pursue a life of holiness. In the previous chapter, chapter 3 of James, verses 13 through 18, James talked about two kinds of wisdom. He talked about the wisdom that comes from above, a wisdom that comes from God, and James talked about a wisdom that comes from below, a wisdom that is worldly and demonic. He shares that these two wisdoms are known by two kinds of fruit. When the wisdom of God is at work, there's righteousness and there's peace. When the wisdom of the devil and the world is at work, you have sin and you have disorder of every kind. In chapter 4, James will reveal to us three types of conflicts that will help answer the question, what causes fights among us? Which is also our three sermon points that I'll be sharing with you now so you can follow along with the sermon. The first conflict is conflicts with others. The first part of verse 1 tells us what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you. The second point is conflicts with yourself. The second portion of verse 1 says, Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? And the third point is conflicts with God. Verse 4 tells us, Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So let's start with our first point, conflicts with others. What is the cause of quarrels and fights among you? James describes this conflict as a quarrel. The word quarrel comes from the Greek word polemos, which means serious dispute, dispute, combat, and often rendered as war. The word fight comes from the word Mahe, referring to battle. And these are some intense words used by James. These words paint the picture of fighting and even violence between people. In this passage, James is specifically addressing the conflict in the church. That's why he says, among you. He's talking about the church. We know that the world is full of conflicts, and the church is not immune to this. We have conflicts that are known. We also have conflicts that are unknown. Whenever you have division among people, the conflict is known. But it's also true that there are people who walk around with war in their hearts. You may not see it. You may not know about it. And they may not express it. But they are full of bad feelings and, and intentions towards other people. As James shares in chapter 3, verse 14, 
They're full of bitter jealousy, full of selfish ambition, and full of arrogance. That's conflict towards other people. They just haven't expressed it yet. Also right now, as you know, there are conflicts between nations. You can ask, what's the cause of fighting between Russia and Ukraine? Why is there tension with North Korea? What is the source of this? Where does this come from? What are the sources of conflict coming from families? Battles between husband and wife. Battles between parents and children. Battles between brothers and sisters. Battles between blood relatives. Where does this come from? Perhaps you're experiencing conflict in the workplace. You had a tough week, maybe with a supervisor, with a co-worker. Where does that come from? Does anyone here have a conflict with a person you call friend? We even have conflicts with people that we like. Where does that come from? We also see things that come out of these conflicts. All sorts of sin that flow out of these conflicts. Violent crimes that come out of this conflict. In fact, James mentioned in verse 2, if you take a look in your Bible, of chapter 4, you lust and do not have, so you commit murder. Murder can be traced to this. Self-murder, suicide can be traced to this. Divorce can be traced to this. So we have to ask, what is the cause? And I think we have a tendency to focus on symptoms instead of the cause. I believe one of the main reasons is why we focus on symptoms because it is not nearly as humbling to focus on the cause, right? I can still blame others if I just focus on the symptoms. You can say, man, my wife doesn't treat me right. That doesn't explain why you hate your wife. It doesn't really explain why you're thinking about leaving her. That's not the problem. But if you just focus on the symptoms, you can say, we just don't talk anymore. But that's not why you're thinking about getting a divorce. That is not the cause. So I'm thankful that God doesn't focus on our symptoms. In verse 1, he asks the question, what's the cause? Because when he says that, we must focus on things that you and I cannot change. Only God can change. No doubt it's going to require for us to humble ourselves and to obey God. But still, ultimately, we must look to the Lord to change these things that causes these fights. We feel that we can manage these symptoms. But as soon as you talk about the cause of our problems, we're pointed to things that only God can manage. Only things that God can change. Now we're talking about these conflicts, the cause of conflicts. And sometimes the cause of conflicts is related to salvation. When you talk about conflicts in churches, we need to remember that not everyone who attends our church is a believer, is a Christian. That is another reason why membership is so important as Pastor Ron prayed for the 18 new members. Praise God for that. We as a church need to know who to edify or who to evangelize. 
So the natural man is very accustomed to warring. For lost people, conflict is just living. It's normal. It's regular. So it's no wonder if you have lost people in the church that they bring a warring spirit with them. But we can't explain all this away on salvation because you know why? Believers also sin. And some of this is related to sanctification. We Christians can be guilty of forgetting our ways, losing our focus, confusing our priorities, living in a way that does not honor Christ. That's why the Lord tells us in more than one place that we must put away our dirty garment. Those things that use to characterize our old lives. The things that we, we need to put away because the Lord tells us that he creates violence. And it's a battle within our souls. Ephesians 4.22 says, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Let's look at the verse. Paul is talking about a decision you made the day you were saved. And now he's telling you to live in the light of that. The day you were saved, you decided to lay aside an old self and to give your life to Christ that you might be made a new creation. Now he's saying you live in accordance with that new life that Christ has given you. So don't be clothed in your old, dirty clothes. Romans 13, 12 also says, The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. This is not a day for a Christian husband and wife to not get along. This is a day for Christian husband and wife to serve the Lord. Amen? This is not a day for Christian parents and children to be fighting. This is a day for Christian parents and children to honor God. This is not a day for Christian employees to act like everybody else in the workplace. This is a day for you to be a testimony, for you to be a light at your workplace. And if you happen to be the boss, this is not a day to lead others like a lost man. This is a day for you to honor Christ with your leadership. The night is almost over, and Jesus will return soon. This is a day to lay aside those old deeds that consumed our lives and live in accordance with the new life Christ has given us. This is a day to do that. So James acknowledges that the cause of quarrels and fight among us flows out this sinful wisdom that we can be guilty of living in, even if we're saved by forgetting our ways, forgetting our new life and not living in accordance with the word of God. So what is the cause of it? What is the cause of it? Listen up. James tells us 
in verse 1. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? And this leads us to our second point. Conflicts with yourself. Conflicts with yourself. The Bible tells us that the conflict that we have with others is birthed out of personal conflict. The battles we have with others are always birthed out of a battle we have within our hearts. And James says the battle within us has to do with desires that are selfish. That war in our hearts, James says, is the source of your passions. We get the word hedonism from the word passions. The desires to please yourself and it wages war in your heart. Self-focus, self-driven, lust, strong desires and cravings. It causes strife in your own heart and it spills out conflict to other people. These desires can be grouped into two categories. First, James mentions uncontrolled desires. He says they're waging war in you. You're not able to control them. And it's amazing how powerful sinful desires can be. In our society today, people think when they're indulging themselves, they're free. But in fact, when a person lives to indulgence, they are simply expressing bondage. They're bound up. They are also, there are also proper types of passions. But the passion he's talking about here is a sinful passion, a selfish passion, a passion that exists in the area of pride. That's why in verse 6 of the same passage, God says, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace. He gives grace to the humble. At the root of all selfishness is that you put yourself first. You're proud. You're your own God. You're controlling your own life. And that's why everything has to revolve around you. That's where the conflict is coming from. You're on the throne of your life. You're number one. You're numero uno. You're ichiban. You're living in pride. Pride is the cause and source of it all. It's an uncontrollable enslaving that only Christ can set you free from. People are slaves to their selfish desires. And the sad part is, many people aren't even aware of it. But sometimes, it gets clearly revealed. You ever known anybody who kept smoking, even though the doctor told them that you're going to die from these cigarettes? And I used to be one of them. I smoked a pack a day. It was my God of peace when I was stressed out. It was my God of comfort after eating a big meal. It was my God of joy to smoke with my friends. But by God's grace, I was able to quit. But I've known people that kept smoking, even though they have a nasty cough or they're even sick, but they continue to smoke. Why do they keep doing that? Because it began as an expression of the freedom. Now it's an expression of their bondage. There's also people who keep drinking, even though they know it's destroying their health, their liver, 
their marriage. There's also people that knows that sexual sin is devastating, but they keep pursuing it. And there are people who know that they don't have money to buy certain things, but they must have it. And so they'll buy it anyways. That's why we are such a credit enslaved country because Americans don't know how to say no. I wish I could say this is only a non-Christian issue, but the fact of the matter is Christians can struggle with this too. So why does James say here that these passion wage war within? One reason why, even if a person is not a Christian, God has given to every man and every woman a conscience. Even apart from the new birth, mankind has retained a certain dignity that God originally gave to Adam, even though it's marred now. But still, mankind retains that dignity that says he is God's special creation. And a part of that dignity is a conscience. We see good Samaritans, right, helping out homeless people, people that are in need. We hear about firefighters running to a burning building or house. And people get confused and say, doesn't the Bible say there's nothing good about man? But that, that deed that person did looks very good to me. Well, you have to remember, good is defined as living for God's glory. But what we're seeing on display is something of the retained dignity that was meant to belong to mankind as God created him. You're seeing a remnant, but it's still fallen. Unless they were doing it for God's glory, in reality, it was something less than a good deed. So men and women have a conscience causing internal conflicts in them. It's leaving them without peace. It's leaving them without rest. It's leaving them without satisfaction and fulfillment. And all you have to do is know this, is to read the book of Ecclesiastes. There you have a man who had money and the power to pursue anything he wanted to pursue. And he tried it all. And yet, what statement keeps coming back in that book? I believe it shows up over 40 times. Vanity, vanity, vanity. It was all vanity. He says, I keep coming for vanity and I end up empty. I tried this and it was empty. I tried that and it was empty. I ran over there and it was empty. And I possessed this and it was empty. Everything is empty. And so as people live this self-driven life, there's no peace. And so when James says these passions are waging, waging war within, he's talking about uncontrolled desires driven by our selfishness, driven by our sin. You think you're free, but in fact you're a slave. You just don't know it. If you were free, you would be satisfied, right? But a slave keeps coming back for more. And that's not the only thing that you see. In verse 2, take a look at verse 2. He talks about unfulfilled desires. Not only are these uncontrolled desires, they're unfilled desires. Verse 2 says, You lust and do you not have. 
so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Conflicts break out when these powerful desires are not satisfied. You want first place, but you can't have first place. You want control, but you can't have control. You want things, but you can't get those things. And this is where depression comes from. This is where conflict comes from. They cannot get what they want. They do not get their way. It goes on in so many different ways. If you'll stop and think about it, many times you get depressed because you felt like you were not in control. You wanted a certain result. You wanted something to turn out a certain way. You wanted something to change in a way that would make you happy. And it didn't happen. We don't like that. But we have to realize something. Whatever that's going on in our lives, whatever I look for in my pleasures, whatever I look for in my satisfaction, that's really what I'm worshiping. I'm worshiping those pleasures. So this morning, I want to ask you a question. What do you need to be satisfied? What do you need to be satisfied? I ask because if you're truly satisfied, there wouldn't be any more internal conflict and war in your heart. The reason why you have internal conflict is because you're pursuing things that you believe will satisfy you. Either you're not satisfied or you can't get a hold of it. You can't find it. And whatever you think is going on to satisfy your heart, you're not getting that. You want joy. You want peace. You want comfort. Those things many of us are worshiping. And that's your God. Even something good as your career or children can become an idol in your life. It's like turning something good, like gold, into a golden calf. And you're worshiping it. John Calvin said, the human heart is an idol factory. And the truth of the matter is, the Bible says only God is God. Only the true and living God that is revealed in Scripture, known through His Son, Jesus Christ, He only can truly satisfy the human heart. What you need is not another marriage partner. What you need is a real relationship, an all-satisfying relationship with Jesus Christ. What you really don't need is a new boss at the workplace. You just need to walk closely with the Lord. He'll meet you every need of your heart. What you need is not a new house or a better car. Praise the Lord if he gives you that, but it's not necessary. Christ is necessary. Jesus is necessary. And the reason why there is internal conflict is because we are serving other gods. We have forgotten who truly satisfies the human heart. Or perhaps you never known this, 
because you never had a relationship with God. And if you're not a Christian this morning, you don't know the one who truly satisfies your heart. The only person that could give you peace and comfort. And the only way that we can have a relationship with God is through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, where he tells us in John 14, 6, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Because of, because of Jesus, we have the gospel, the good news, that our holy and perfect God made mankind. But man rebelled against God. Man sinned against God. And the Bible tells us that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But because of God's great love for us, he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life. And he died on a cross for our sins. And three days later, he rose again because God was satisfied with his perfect sacrifice and to prove that he is our Lord and Savior. And this morning, we have an option to respond. Either, either you could forget this gospel message or reject it, or the Bible clearly tells us that you'll be separated from God forever to a place called hell, or this is the good news. That you could repent from your sins, turn away from your sinful lifestyle, and turn to God and trust Jesus for your salvation. The Bible tells us that you will be saved, that you'll be with God forever in heaven. Isn't that amazing news, church family? That's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. And church family, if you are a Christian, the reason why you're feeling conflicts it's because you have forgotten who is necessary. For you to have joy, we are told to be content in whatever circumstances we are in. Jesus himself tells us in John 6.35, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is saying, I am enough. So why is there fighting in the world? Why is there fighting in families? Why is there fighting in the workplace? Why? Because people have internal conflicts birthed out of wanting to please themselves. Wanting to have their own way with God. Even when they get something that they desire, they're finding out they're coming up empty. So they go running after one more thing. And people are fighting each other to get that one more thing, thinking that it would satisfy them. This creates conflict, quarrels, and fights. Remember this, church family. The way that we treat others reveals the way that we treat God. And some of you this morning might say, prove it, pastor. Well, Matthew chapter 25, verse 40 tells us, and the king, Jesus, will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And this leads us to our third point, conflicts with God. You see, whenever we fight others, 
We're living a life that is, that is against God's will. We're opposing God's work in our lives. And you'll know when you're living in sinful wisdom. And you'll know when you're living with uncontrolled and unfulfilled desires because those are two clear characteristics of it as you see in verses 2 and 3. The first one is self-sufficiency. Sinful wisdom is always self-sufficient. The Lord says at the end of verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask. You're in the rat race of life. You're out here fighting because you think it's going to make you happy. And again, in verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask. So what does James mean by this? Does he mean that if I just ask God, he will give me things I seek for? Can I just pray and say, Lord, I'll stop fighting. Please just give me that new house. It doesn't mean that. What is James saying is, he's not talking about the specific things you're seeking after. He's talking about what you need. You don't have rest because you don't ask. You don't have relief because you don't ask. You don't have peace because you don't ask. You don't have contentment because you don't ask. You don't have joy because you don't ask. You don't have a sense of meaning, purpose, and usefulness in your life because you don't ask. You're looking to all the wrong things. You're thinking that it's going to be found in this passion that you're worn after. But in fact, it's found in God. You haven't stopped to see that. You do not see that God is the only one who can truly satisfy a human heart. We don't ask because we don't think that God is our need. We think we need what God can give us. But at times, we don't see that he is our need. You see this a lot in evangelism. People come looking for God, but they're actually looking for what God can give them. They're not maybe coming for a new house, but perhaps they're looking for peace, joy, purpose, and comfort. They're coming to church. They attend Bible study. They ask good spiritual questions. And we're assuming that they're seeking God. And listen, if God is doing a work of drawing a person to himself, they may be seeking God. But the reason why we get disappointed sometimes with evangelism, these people are like the rich young ruler. They came running, they fell on their knees, and they asked the right question. We told them about Christ. We led them in a prayer. And we don't ever see them again. Why? What happened? What may have happened is that they didn't come looking for God. They came looking for what God can bless them with. So they appeared to make a commitment to God, but they weren't looking for Christ. They were looking for peace, joy, and comfort, all the fruits of having a relationship with Christ. But they weren't really looking for God. They were looking for what God can give them. So listen, church family, your prayer life reveals your relationship with God. Self-sufficiency 
One of the ways you'll know you're living in natural wisdom if you're not praying. You don't pray. You don't ask for prayer because you think you could do it by yourself. You don't have because you don't ask. So this morning, some may say, I pray a lot. I know there's something wrong in my life right now. I know there's emptiness. I know there's a lack of peace. I know there's a lack of rest. I've been asking God, why do I feel the same? Verse 3 tells us, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly so that you may spend it on your passions. One characteristic of sinful wisdom is self-sufficiency. The other characteristic of sinful wisdom is selfish motives. Selfish motives. You are at the center in the asking. In other words, some people want to use God to fulfill the same selfish desires that people have who don't call on God at all. One person doesn't pray at all, and they got all these desires. Here's somebody else who really has the same goals, the same ambitions, and the same bottom line craving in their lives. They're just planning to use God to get it. So they ask, and they don't receive. They are still empty. And there's still something missing. Because for all the praying, religion, Bible study, and spiritual activities, do you know who's really still at the center of their life? Do you know who's still in their center of their prayer life? It's still them. They're at the center. Let me say it this way. Please hear this. God will not be a tool. God will not be a tool. God is not a means to an end. He's the end. You get that? He's not a means to an end. He's the end. He's the beginning. He's everything in between. That's why there's conflicts in our relationships. That's why there's conflicts in us. Because we are at conflict. We put ourselves in positions that creates conflicts with God. Because God is not at the center. We still are. Even with all of our praying and religious activities, we're still at the center, hopelessly in love with ourselves, focus on ourselves, working for ourselves. And we don't realize that it's only a life with God at the center that we were meant to live. And it's only a life you can experience with Christ. It's only a life that will truly satisfy you. So someone this morning might say, I'll pray to Matthew 6.33, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. I want peace. I want joy. I want comfort. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to put the Lord first. Will that work? Maybe not. Pastor, what do you mean? What I mean, it's not just another method. This is not a method. What we're talking about is the honest God-given ambition of your heart. If you seek God first in everything in order to get peace or in order to get happiness, you still aren't seeking God first. Now, if you seek God first, you seek God for God's sake. 
not for the sake of peace, not for the sake of joy, but for the sake of God. In other words, he's the treasure. And John Piper said this, sin, it's what we do when our hearts are not satisfied with God. Sin, it's what we do when our hearts are not satisfied with God. When there's discontentment in a believer's life, do you know what happens? Do you know what happens? You have forgotten that Christ is the treasure, and he's enough. Sin is what we do when our hearts are consumed with us and not Christ. And I'll finish with this thought this morning. If we look at the end of verse 3, James says, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Do you notice he says, spend it on your passions? And here's my question, church family. In your life, who do you want to spend it on? Who do you want to spend it on? Who do you want to give your passions to? And if you want to know a God-produced attitude in this area, just listen to Apostle Paul. I don't know how many times he expressed something like this in the New Testament, but I have four verses. 2 Corinthians twelve fifteen. The Apostle Paul writes, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Spent for your souls. He says this to the Corinthian church. I want to be spent and spent out for your souls because their souls were important for Christ. That's where Paul received his joy, his love for Christ. Paul was saying that I will be spent up. I will be sent out. I will be exhausted and poured out for Christ. 2 Timothy 4.6 tells us, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. This is Paul the Apostle's last letter to his spiritual son, Timothy. And Paul is saying, I live my life as a living sacrifice for God right before being killed for his faith in Jesus Christ. Philippians 2.17 tells us, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Philippians 3.8, indeed, I count everything as loss. Listen to this. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Here's a man that was locked up in a Roman prison. He knew that he was going to die. And he was able to write a letter to the Philippian church filled with reference to joy. And he also writes a letter in 2 Timothy to share how he does not stand alone, but Christ stands with him. And there's also great evidence of joy in that book as well. 
How did Paul, knowing, knew how to be content with having much and having little? How does a person know what joy is when you're shipwrecked, beaten, scourged, forgotten, maligned, and slandered? Because he counted his life to be poured out completely in sacrifice and service to Christ. He didn't want to spend it on his own passions. He wanted to spend and be spent on behalf of Christ. Church family, is that your ambition? Who do you want to be spent on? Who do you want to be spent for? In closing, James remind us where the conflicts, quarrels, and fights come from in our lives. It's when Jesus is no longer the treasurer in our lives. And all of a sudden, we're at the center again. And we want it our way. And church family, really examine your hearts. And this morning, I want you to ask this question. Do you remember what it was like when Jesus was your treasure? Do you remember that moment when Jesus was your treasure? Was he enough? Maybe things aren't good in your marriage. And as Pastor Ron prayed earlier, many of you are struggling physically. But you know what? You know what, church family? You have Christ. Maybe there's something you really want something that you really desire, maybe it won't happen. But is there anything greater than Jesus Christ as a treasure? Maybe you'll never be what you want to be. Maybe you'll never climb that corporate ladder and get that promotion. But you know what? Could anybody ever give you anything greater than having Christ? Christ is our treasure, and Christ is enough. Amen? Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for reminding us to keep our eyes and hearts on you, for you to be the center of our lives. Thank you for giving us the greatest treasure in your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we know that you're a loving Father that is full of grace. I pray that we would repent to you if our hearts have drifted away from you and we have been desiring the things of the world more than you. Please help us to not have wars within our hearts, fights with others, and conflicts with you. Humble our hearts, Lord, so that we will turn to you. Help us to become more like your son, Jesus Christ, for us not to be the center of our own lives, but for you to be in the center of our lives. So, Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you that we can truly have a relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. May we spend our passions on you. May we never forget 
that you are our first love. May we find our joy, our passion, our peace, and our comfort from you. You are the only one that can truly satisfy the human heart. You are our treasure. So Father, whatever is happening in our lives, I pray we can honestly say that having you is enough. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.